Winchester and Band. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Amen. I was reminded of uh, the passage in Psalm 84 where David said, Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Amen. Amen. I'm tempted to sing the song by Matt Redmond, but I think my wife will fire me from the praise and worship. <laughs> Amen. Uh, good evening, family. I asked myself the question, my goodness, when last have I preached at this time of the night? And I remembered all the times that I preached tired after those five kids have tortured us weekend after weekend. And so we, we've had a blessed evening. It's so good to see some familiar faces, some friends and family. Um, we had a spit bry earlier. If you missed out, you missed out. Thanks to the Crotz family, you guys made sure that meat was medium rare. And so uh, it's my, my privilege and honor to share God's good word with you this evening. And to be honest with you, I was tempted to come with the word of the Lord for the year. <laughs> and tell you it's the year of the suddenly, but I thought, no man, let me give you a word for the year. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Something that's on my heart and I want uh, that I want you to take with uh, from the beginning of the year and carry it with you to the end. And so uh, if you will, and I hope you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And we're in chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And family, please, I'm going to put the onus on you this evening. I usually put the onus on my wife. And I give her the assignment of being my timekeeper. And I think a lot more is at stake this evening. Yes. So I'm going to put the responsibility on you all. Please let this preacher know when it's at least 10 to. No, not at least 10 to, because then you will take another 8 minutes to close. Quarter to. Quarter to. 22. So you have 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay, let, let me know 22 yeah. and then I'll try and land the plane in 10 minutes, okay? <laughs> They're fine. Amen. Uh, amen. When you're at Luke chapter 14, please give me an amen. amen. Hallelujah. We're reading from verse 25. I'm tempted to read from verse uh, 1, but I'll, I'll spare you this evening. Reading from verse. 25 Bible says now great multitudes went with Jesus and he turned to them and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters yes and even his own life also he cannot be my disciples. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? 
least after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish all who see it will begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish or what king going to make war against another king does not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and asks to consider peace so likewise who of you Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if that salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Amen. Can we pray? Father Lord, we thank you that we could be found in your presence. We could have been anywhere this evening under the covers, the nightclub. But for the most of us, we, we chose and were glad that we could come and spend this time in your presence. And Lord, we want this moment to set the tone for the rest of the year and to make a bold declaration that Lord, we end the year with you and we start the year with you and we journey with you in between. And so Lord, open up your word and let the entrance of your word give light because your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Anoint this exhausted vessel of clay. Let him speak as an oracle of God this evening. And let his voice disappear. And let your voice appear. In Jesus' name. And everybody says? Amen. amen and amen. There's so much I want to say this evening. I'll spare most of my words. But I kind of want to get into the crux of what the gospel is about and what the mission of Jesus was about. And if you know, part of the mission of Christ was to reach a dying world and a lost world and integrated into that mission was the mandate of making disciples and so when we read the great commission that Christ gives to his church to his disciples where he tells him in Matthew 28 he says to them all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded and knowing this that I am with you to the end of the ages so when he gives his disciples this 
mandate and commission that is still the mandate for the church today but it also expresses the heart and longing of God and the desire of God has always been the making and producing of disciples and so the mission of Christ has always included and integrated the making of disciples and so you have from the very inception of the ministry of Jesus in Luke in chapter 5 where Jesus goes on a mission and a manhunt to find and select his disciples and so in chapter 5 we have the call of discipleship that's introduced to us in the story of how Peter came to become a disciple and how Peter began to follow Jesus and so Jesus comes up to Peter from the beginning of his ministry and he finds Peter fishing and he says to Peter come follow me and I will make you a fish of men because following Jesus is a fishy business so he says follow me and I will make you because discipleship is a journey and the process of becoming yeah. and so discipleship in a nutshell is the process of becoming like Jesus it's the process where God trains us to accurately and boldly represent Christ in the Hebrew times in ancient times the practice of discipleship wasn't a foreign concept for a rabbi and for disciple a disciple or young boy could not choose to be a disciple a rabbi had to select his student and apprentice that was not the privilege or entitlement of the student or disciple and the disciple must meet two or three criteria firstly the disciple must have a thorough working knowledge of the Torah they must be able to recite the Torah they must be excellent in the recitation of the scriptures secondly the disciple must have the capacity to leave all he must be able to leave family and friends and comfort to follow and live with his rabbi the third criteria was that at the base of his desire to to follow his rabbi he must want to become like his rabbi and so when we speak of discipleship we speak of the process of becoming like our rabbi and so the theme of discipleship runs very strongly through the gospel of Luke in chapter 5 you have Jesus calling Peter into discipleship in chapter 6 we have Jesus calling and selecting 12 disciples Simon Andrew 
Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, Judas, Simon, Judas, Iscariot, James, and John, the sons of thunder. He selects 12 disciples just as Israel had 12 tribes in the nation. As so to speak that these 12 disciples would now form the basis of a new Israel. And then in chapter 8, we have another tale and twist of discipleship where we see women join and follow Jesus and support Jesus where he goes from town to town preaching the gospel. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna, they follow Jesus. And in that day and time, it wasn't permitted for women to become formally disciples, but informally, they became disciples of Jesus. And then in chapter 9, we have Jesus commissioning and, and sending out his 12 disciples. He gives them authority to preach the gospel. And he says, go into the towns and, and heal the sick and cast out devils in my name and he sends the 12 out and then in chapter 9 he speaks and lays out the terms of discipleship and he says if any man desires to come after me if any man desires to follow me let him first deny himself take up his cross and follow me forever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it and so he painted the very graphic picture of what was the worst form of capital punishment at the time, the crucifix. And he says that if you want to follow me, you must be willing to pick up your cross. And then in chapter 10, we are introduced to 70 more disciples. And these 70 disciples are also sent out with authority by Jesus. And now by this point, we see that discipleship is the active business of the enterprise of Jesus. He's into the business of making disciples. Disciples are at his heart. The interesting thing about the term disciples is that it's used 269 times in the New Testament the interesting thing about the term Christian is that it's only used three times the funny thing is, is that in Acts 11 verse 26 Bible says in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians and I don't want you to miss that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That means that the term Christian was used to refer to disciples. I think sometimes our language has changed in this century and time to such a point where we've watered down the message. Yeah. And for a time now, 
I've been pondering and saying, you know what? This talk and conversation about receiving Jesus into your heart can send the wrong signals. Because you don't get to receive a king. The king receives you. Secondly, to become a Christian is not about receiving Christ in your heart because the term Christian was only used to refer to disciples. So if Christ approached Peter and he approached Matthew and Bartholomew and Andrew and he approached the 70 and said to them, follow me. That means being a Christian is not necessarily about receiving Jesus in your heart. It's about following him. Come on. And so every single one of us here in this building, under the sound of my voice, if you label yourself as a Christian, we should be able to label you as a disciple as well. Now here's where it gets costly. Because Jesus lays down the terms and conditions of discipleship. And he says, if anyone desires to come after me, the first requirement of a disciple, first you've got to have the desire to come after me. Secondly, you must embrace self-denial. Thirdly, you must be willing to carry your cross. It should not be possible or common to see a Christian without a cross. And Jesus says that you should be willing to lose your life for my sake. Those are the terms and conditions, the T's and C's of following Jesus. And so we get to Luke chapter 14 and in the broader context Jesus is invited into the home of a, of a Pharisee. And when he gets into the home of the Pharisees, he's treated with hospitality. But in the company of Jesus is lawyers and experts of the law and, and, and Pharisees. And if you know your Bible history and your Bible story and the gospel story, you will know that Jesus faced more opposition from the religious leaders and orders of the day than anyone else. Yeah. Than anyone else. And you find out that he had more trouble with religious folk than with demons. You know, you can just drive out a demon, but you can't cast out a mindset. You know? can't cast out character from, from people. And so his greatest contention came amongst the religious folk. And, and he's sitting amongst these religious folk. And, and though they are showing him hospitality, They are really there to scrutinize him. Because they ask him the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So Jesus must have been sitting like, my goodness, we have this question again. (laughs) Because they 
they they pride themselves in the legalities of the law and, and the honoring of the sabbath and 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 jesus oh time and time again would remind him that that he is the lord over the sabbath Amen. and he asked him the question tell me if your donkey falls into a pit on the sabbath day will you rescue it yeah. the bible says they had not a reply for him and then he goes on to tell them a parable and in the parable he says that there was a certain man in the kingdom who had a great supper and when he hosted this great supper he sent out an invitation to everyone but that invitation was snubbed because the first man said I cannot come can you please excuse me because I bought a property and I have to go and tend to it and so he excused himself and then the second man said look I bought five yokes of oxen I, I have a business I'm running I can't attend to the supper please excuse me and so he's excused and then the third man comes up and says sir I've just married I'm on honeymoon <laughs> there's no way I can attend the supper and so that man and master got upset and said to his servants rather go into the highways and the byways and invite everyone to come that my house may be full and those three excuses are still the excuses we use today we either to absorb in our possessions or at material acquisitions or the pursuit of it or we either to business to to busy with our professions your boss gets the best of you he'll tell you to jump and you'll ask how high it's all the honor and you're so absorbed in in climbing this corporate ladder and you don't have time for church you don't have time for for the things of god because you're too busy and then the third excuse we often use is is excuse around people my family my friends and i've always tried to get around around this excuse because I can't understand why families are always going on outings when it's church time <laughs> always a hike on a Sunday always a picnic on a Sunday <laughs> flying from point A to point every Sunday every week and so you never have time for the things of God then years down the line because church was optional for you was never an option for your kids and so we've always used this excuse but but when Jesus is confronted with these with these Pharisees you must know that that after he had told the story the Bible said that that he had attracted a great multitude he had attracted the crowd and it almost seems like when you read from verse 25 that the verse we we just read i said keenan look at his voice don't don't do that man 
don't do that. I'm, I'm gonna roll with you. And, and he's, Jesus has attracted the crowd. And they, they're huddling around him. The multitudes. I mean, what, what preacher wouldn't love this moment? And he is not impressed one bit by the enthusiasm. Not one bit. So you know what he says to them? He turns to them. And he says to them in Luke chapter 14. He says to them the same words almost echoed from, from chapter 9. He says, if anyone desires to come after me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. First thing I want to say is that there's degrees of commitment. You know, Jesus had haters. And then he had the crowd that showed interest. But then he had disciples. Yeah. And so Jesus was not moved by the crowd because what he really wanted was commitment. What he really wanted was disciples. And so he gives them a strong dose of reality in the face of the enthusiasm. And he said, you can't follow me if you don't hate your mother and your father. And like, whoa, Jesus, what did you just say? What strong language you're using? You threw the term hate. And this verse has been a theological minefield for a lot of commentators. Jesus, you always preached love. You even went to the extent of saying, love your enemies. Honor your parents. Yeah. Love your wife. What do you mean by hate? Mother and father. Brother and sister. This seems like an unfair standard that he's teaching. It almost sounds like he's promoting hate. The first thing we got to do to interpret scripture is that the Bible must explain the Bible. Second thing that you also need to account for is the use of literary devices and expressions and figures of speech. Because if I say, hey, uh, Keenan, I'm going to spill the beans, I'm not literally spilling the beans. So if I say I'm under the weather, I'm not literally under the weather if I say ah, I just I just hate Poloni you know or I just I hate golf you know the term the terms I'm throwing around and expressions I'm throwing around don't actually mean literally what I'm saying and so the first thing we need to find is where's this expression used before it's used first of all in Deuteronomy 21 verse 15 when the Bible says, if a man has two wives, he loves one and he hates another. Right? But there's no possible way you can have two wives, love one and hate the other. 
because you could just easily divorce her and get rid of her. That phrase is used again in Luke 16 and Matthew 6, where Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. You will either love the one or hate the other. And so Luke throws a comparison and says, You can either serve God or serve mammon. You love one either. But think of this. Is he really saying hate money? You can either love God or hate money. Which one of you hates money? <laughs> think about it. If you hated money, you wouldn't want to make money. Yeah. You like money. We, we should be afraid to say love money because the love of money is the root of all evil. But if you really hated money, you would want nothing to do with money. But the reason why the expression is used, it's a Hebrew idiom. So every time the Hebrews drew a comparison between two things, they used the phrase love and hate. Love and hate. Love and hate. So they used the term love and hate to show preference and choice. Is that if it comes down to God or money, I'm choosing God. If it comes down to God and family, I'm choosing God. If it comes down to God and sports, I'm choosing God. Because I love him and I hate the other. This is seen also in Malachi chapter 1. The expression is used where the scripture says, speaking of God, he says, Jacob I have loved. He's speaking about nations. He says, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And that expression is used again in Romans 9. But when he speaks of this, he speaks of him choosing the nation of Israel, Jacob, over the nation of the Edomites and, and, and Esau. So when the expression love and hate is used, it's used to illustrate preference and choice. So when Jesus is saying, if you desire to come after me, you cannot do so unless you hate your mother and father and brother and sister. And what he's saying is he's taking discipleship and he's putting it in the context of family relations. And he's saying that if it boils down to a choice, you choose me. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And to best illustrate this, I've got a pastor friend and he's married for a number of years. And his wife said to him the other day, and I laughed about it. He said, babe, I'll follow you anywhere except hell. Come on. <laughs> I'll follow you anywhere except hell. So if it comes between a choice between my wife's way and Jesus, she must know from the start. It's Jesus all the way, baby. Jesus all the way. And that's friends and family will make me a better husband. Come on. Yes. That will make me a better man. Yes. And then Jesus goes on and he begins to illustrate what discipleship is really about and he puts discipleship into the context next of self-love. And he says that if you desire to come after me, you even got to hate yourself. 
you got to be willing to give up your own life and put aside your own interests for my sake. And in today's age, there is so much talk about my truth and my way. It's my way or the highway. You know, it's about my feelings, my heart. You know, me, 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 me. It's, you know, it's how I feel in the moment. It's, it's what I decide. And this generation has put so much value on the opinions at the expense of what God has said. And if you're going to be a disciple, you must be willing to lay your ways and your truth and your opinions on the altar of God's word. It's like uh, some time ago someone said to me, uh, you know what, I've got a business, but I'm not going to make this business work unless I get a bit dirty. My hands get a bit dirty, you know. How you call it in Johannesburg, you know, unless I have a chocho or I have some cool drink. Or <laughs> and so the, the question and the dilemma wasn't a complicated one. All you needed to ask is, are you a disciple? Are you a Christian? Yes. Then you have your answer. Yeah. You don't let their business die. Come then violate the principles of God's work. Amen. God's word. Amen. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Come and die. If anyone desires to come up, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You must be willing to embrace yeah. And so Jesus said, if, if you're going to be a disciple and follow after me, you have to first sit down and count the cost. Nobody intending to build and, and intending to erect an edifice and lays down a foundation without first carefully considering whether you have the budget and finances to complete the job. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, count the cost. Make careful consideration because it will be an embarrassment to fail halfway into it. So rather stay on the peripherals than count the cost. Who intending to go to war does so at his own expense, not counting the cost. The terms and conditions, friends and family, are not in fine print. They are in bold letters. If you want to know Jesus, experience Jesus in 2023, it's the road of discipleship. He doesn't want us lingering amongst the multitude. He doesn't want us to get enthusiastic about Him from time to time. He doesn't want us to, to tune into church when it's convenient and tune into God when it's convenient. He doesn't want a convenient gospel. The gospel is far from comfortable and far from convenient. Yeah. 
if you still in a place of your in your life when you have go-to verses to make you feel good about yourself when you're going to something you are not on the road of discipleship if you are still in the place in your life where it is not a big deal that your friends and families don't know Jesus then you are not a disciple if you are still playing it safe with God then you are not a disciple if the only prayers you pray revolve around you running and keeping your life running smoothly then you are not a disciple if you have no and I mean literally zero excitement about God and learning his word you are not ready for discipleship if you are not sorry for the sins you're committing but only sorry for the consequences that they bring then you are not ready for discipleship convenient cells I know but a convenient gospel won't save and this evening going into the year I wanted to issue you with a challenge and a call from Jesus himself follow me follow me and I'll make you a fish of men follow me Amen. Amen. Well, it's 5-2. <laughs> Before I continue, let us please stand. And let's get ready for the countdown.